one of Jesus's essential invitations is that we lay down our lives and that we do it in relation to our gifting, I think, uh, in relation to the needs of the world at this time. And, and I think that there's a great explosion occurs when our gifting meets the deepest needs of our time. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests have discovered through time and testing how to find joy amidst difficult circumstances and bring that joy to a hurting world. Author and speaker Matthew Kelly and nonprofit leader Tammy Bullock. For decades, Australia native Matthew Kelly has tried to meet God's people where they are and encourage them to move toward where God is calling them. He's written more than 30 books with the aim of inspiring people, including his newest called Rediscover the Saints. And in 2009, he founded Dynamic Catholic, an online community and resource center looking to give people help and hope. Today, Matthew tells us how it's easy to find God in the ordinary and why living in holy moments are more attainable than living a holy life. Hi, I'm Matthew Kelly. I'm a speaker. I'm an author. I'm a husband. I am father, a son, a brother. Uh, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and I uh, live here in the United States now. So growing up in Australia was a fabulous experience. I have seven brothers, so I'm the fourth of eight boys. It's a big family, lots of fun, lots of sports. What sport? Every sport, any sport. Probably a very competitive environment in lots of ways, but also a very loving environment. You know, I've, I've tried to deconstruct sort of the values that my parents aspired and tried to instill into me and my brothers. What they gave us was a really, a very human foundation, a very uh, strong grounding in hard work, sort of as an ethic, as a value you know, honesty, always tell the truth. When they're teaching us about Jesus, when they're teaching us about spirituality, it meshed very well with that sort of the, those very basic human foundations. I grew up in the Catholic tradition. And so, um, uh, you know, my context for Christianity is, is Catholicism. And I started uh, Dynamic Catholic in 2009. And it was in response to the fact that, you know, there are more than 70 million Catholics in America. In 2009, there were 30 million Catholics not attending Sunday Mass, and there just so many things were happening, you know. I mean, uh, closing churches, closing schools, going in the wrong direction, society going in the wrong direction. Humanity is broken and messy. I mean, things are a mess here. Um, everybody knows it. You don't have to be Catholic to work that out. What do we do with this mess? Because the collateral damage is real people and, and their lives and their families and their marriages. And if they're going to experience Christianity in the context of Catholicism, how do we make that a powerful experience, uh, a transformative experience? How do we come up with a model that takes a, a faith community from a place of uh, survival, and mediocrity, to a place of, of thriving excellence? I think some of my friends thought I was absolutely crazy when 
I started Dynamic Catholic, you know, because by now I'm, I'm just married. I had my first child, but it's been a great journey and it's, it's been a great, been a lot of challenges, but so many people's lives have been touched and transformed. The, the people of our age are, are spiritually hungry. This is actually starving to death spiritually, uh, regardless of what tradition they were raised in or what tradition they are practicing. They're, they're absolutely hungry. And I think that manifests most in a, an unspoken hope. I think quietly, somewhere deep inside, they hope there's another path than the path that the world is offering them. Because they know that the path the world is offering them is bankrupt. People often will question my Christianity and why is that important to you and then all this sort of thing. And I say to them, uh, particularly people, non-believers, you know, I'll say to them, listen, even if you could absolutely prove to me that Jesus didn't die on a cross, didn't rise from the dead. I mean, historically, we know he existed, so you can't prove to me that that never happened. But even if you could prove to me that he didn't exist, he didn't die from the, on the cross, didn't raise from the dead, I still believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the best way to live. That's a good foundation for me to come back to sometimes, especially uh, during times of discouragement or doubt, which we all experience. And I don't think we talk about that anywhere near enough in the church. But this is this is the best way to live. I think it's very important that we that we monitor our joy, that we we stay attentive to our joy. And of course, in in, in Paul, we find uh, sort of the great champion of joy, which is his central theme from prison. Paul's central theme from the squalor is a theme of joy. I, I think is a profound, very powerful lesson because I think we attach ourselves in our society today to a joy that is dependent on substance or circumstance. You know, we're, it's easy to be happy, you know, in the Bahamas in January, laying by the pool. The real test becomes maintaining our joy in the midst of, of suffering. And another powerful moment for me was my first diagnosis of cancer. I've had cancer three times, uh, all unrelated, three different types of cancer, which is strange, a little strange, rare. I remember coming out of the doctor's office. I had cancer and like my head was spinning, my ears were ringing, you know, and the whole world goes on, you know, the whole world goes on. Nobody knows you just got told you, you got cancer. person in the elevator doesn't know that. The person in the parking attendant doesn't know that just happened. The world just keeps going on. And I think that was a very powerful lesson for me because it, it drew me very close to that concept that everybody you meet is carrying a heavy load. You know, everybody you meet is carrying a heavy burden. And we forget that, and when we forget that, we, we lose compassion, we dehumanize many of our conversations, relationships. But if, we, if we're mindful that everyone we meet is carrying a heavy burden, 
we treat people with a different gentleness or with a different respect. And, and I, I think that's very powerful. And that was probably the biggest lesson I learned from, from my first uh, bout with cancer is the idea that everyone has stuff going on inside of them. And, and you have no idea what it is. And it's not that you need to know what it is, but that you should assume that they do have something going on inside of them and and that as a result we should be we should be gentle with each other and 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 part of that is is learning to be gentle with ourselves so i first encountered um jesus calling as a gift from uh, someone who became a great spiritual mentor to me and i was fascinated with it i'd read it all the time and i would read the reflections for the day but i would very often jump around as well and you know, or just open up at different times of the day and 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 see what uh, the spirit was saying to me. The reflection for uh, March the fourteenth. Do not hesitate to receive joy from me, for I bestow it on you abundantly. The more you rest in my presence, the more freely my blessings flow into you. In the light of my love, you are gradually transformed from glory to glory. It is through spending time with me that you realize how wide and long and high and deep is my love for you. Sometimes the relationship I offer you seems too good to be true. I pour my very life into you, and all you have to do is receive me. In a world characterized by working and taking, the admonition to rest and receive seems too easy. There is a close connection between receive and believing. As you trust me more and more, you're able to receive me and my blessings abundantly. Be still and know that I am God. I think the way the passage resonates with me is a twofold. There's a beautiful personal nature uh, to these reflections. Um, And I think the power of it and the success it's had in touching people's hearts is, is deeply linked to that, that personal uh, nature of these reflections because we we talk about like having a personal relationship with God um but it's 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 hard to to connect to that sometimes and i think this effortlessly creates that connection creates a bridge um the other thing that sort of resonated as i was reading this and and cast me back to sort of my first experience of it is how very positive um, the reflections are and how encouraging they are at, at every turn. Um, even even when they're challenging us, they're incredibly supportive and encouraging and we're being encouraged here so that we can go out and encourage other people. Um, you know, and there's 7 billion people give or take on the planet today. 6.9 billion of them probably will go to bed hungry tonight just for one honest word of encouragement um and and so it's a very real way that we can collaborate with god by encouraging the people in our lives or the people that cross our paths 
You know, as a Catholic, the idea of writing a book about the saints is a no-brainer, but it's an idea that I have resisted, you know, for, for more than 25 years. I have often thought, ah, world doesn't need another book about the saints. Most of them are short biographies of the saints or quotes or things like that. And But some friends really challenged me to look at it. And the biggest line in the history of Christianity is that the lie we tell ourselves that holiness is not possible and the antidote to that is what i call the holy moment you know and the idea that you know if we, if we go out today and, and and we just ask god all right god let's create a holy moment in any situation if we just turn to god and say god what do you want me to do right now and if we just set aside self-interest what we feel like doing what we want to do and we just do what god what we feel god is calling us to do in that moment we've created a holy moment and these people we call saints, which is complicated because the word has carried many, many definitions throughout the history of Christianity. And I think it's worth talking about that in a minute. But the idea that these saints, they didn't live holy lives. Okay, they lived holy moments. And between the holy moments, there was often there was some very dark, you know, messed up, twisted stuff going on in the lives of the saints. Their humanity was very real. Uh, they overwhelmed those dark moments by creating more and more holy moments but their life wasn't one action and i think the danger is we sit back and think oh he lived a holy life or she lived a holy life no they lived you know 10 million holy moments or whatever but their life wasn't one action what is a saint uh, i think is a is an important question for us to ask ourselves as a church and and what role does it play you know paul addresses the various communities or the people in the various community as saints. And uh, there is a very specific definition of a canonized saint within traditional Christianity. But there is, the church has always held the idea that, okay, these are just some, most of the saints, you know, they come and go anonymously through life. Nobody's ever going to canonize them. Nobody's ever going to say that person was a saint or, you know, she was a saint, whatever. But that we all are all called to be saints in the way that Paul envisioned it in his letters, I think is a concept that needs to be rediscovered because it it leads us to understand that we have a part to play in the revitalization of our society and the renewal of our world. I think that we do tend to put people up on a pedestal. We do that for a lot of reasons. Obviously, the reason we tell ourselves is, is, oh, we respect this person or we respect the work they've done or they're doing. But uh, I think one of the hidden reasons we do it is is to separate them from us, to say, okay, they're different than me. Um, and in doing so, abdicate ourselves of the responsibility to to do what they're doing or to live at the level they're trying to live. So I think that's one piece of, of what we're talking about. It's very important to me that my reader understands that, you know, I absolutely do not have it all together. Um, I absolutely uh, do not have all the answers. And that, that, that it's not about that, that it's about being committed to the journey and, and how committed am I today? You know, because I could be 100% committed yesterday, but if I'm not committed at all today, then, you know, I, I've lost something. And I think that 
both as Christians and as a society, we need to give our leaders permission to be human uh, because we'll see an astounding new authenticity um, if we do. I think Christianity, modern Christianity, uh, many, many Christians believe that the culture has become too strong, it's become impenetrable, that there's absolutely nothing we can do. And that that's defeatism. It certainly isn't uh, a spirit of Christianity. And then there's a, uh, there's a tendency to say, okay, well, we just need God to directly intervene. You know, we need the second coming or we need God to directly intervene. And that that isn't the spirit of Christianity either, or even the spirit of God's relationship with man throughout the Judeo-Christian tradition has always been one of collaboration. God wants to collaborate with us, and, and, and that collaboration is beautiful. And I think that, you know, we see that with Jesus entering the world. Jesus could have just entered the world, but, you know, God chose to collaborate with Mary in that. And, and then... Um, there's these all great collaborations throughout the history of our tradition between God and humanity. And I think God's inviting us to one of those collaborations again now. And the question is, will we accept the invitation? To learn more about Dynamic Catholic, please visit dynamiccatholic.com. Matthew's book, Rediscover the Saints, is available from your favorite book retailer today. Stay tuned as we talk with nonprofit leader Tammy Bullock after a brief message about the Jesus Calling Weekly Prayer Call. Did you know that Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling, prays for her readers each day? In that spirit, we want to extend the Jesus Calling prayer community out to you in a more personal way. Each Tuesday morning, you can dial into the Jesus Calling Weekly Prayer Call, where the team from Jesus Calling and special guests will minister to us during a 10-minute call to reflect on that day's passage from Jesus Calling, read scripture references, and pray together for each other and our world. Prayer call times are 8 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Central, 6 a.m. Mountain, and 5 a.m. Pacific, and are for U.S. only. For more information on the Jesus Calling Weekly Prayer Call or to submit prayer requests, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. Again, to join us in this community of prayer every Tuesday morning, please visit jesuscalling.com slash prayer dash call. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. 
Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Most of Tammy Bullock's life has been wrapped up in serving others, as she does currently for the Nashville Rescue Mission. Though her early life was marked by poverty and abuse, Tammy's singing voice could be heard joyfully rising above the noise of the problems that surrounded her. After catching the attention of the head of a record label, Tammy was well on her way to hitting it big in the music industry, but after returning home from a life-changing trip, she realized her true joy would be found using her voice for God's purposes. My name is Tammy Bullock. I am the Transitional House Coordinator at the Nashville Rescue Mission Women's Campus. I am a Kansas City, Kansas girl. I grew up uh, moving a lot, quite a bit. We were either evicted or um, just had some challenges in the spaces that we lived in. Um, but uh, the majority of my years, I would say, were in the projects on 5th and Quindaro in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, I am the youngest of four. Uh, my brother right over me, I was really kind of never the baby because Christopher is both autistic and mentally handicapped. And then I have uh, a sister, Trina, who is the middle sister, and our oldest sister, Shelly. We were all uh, singers. We grew up singing in a group and uh, sang gospel music. Uh, at church and in the Kansas City area. And um, I, I would say a lot of our lives was shaped by music and, and the gospel music that we sang. My mother, our, our mother, was the minister of music at our church. Um, she did have some challenges. Uh, as I've said, we moved around quite a bit um, or we were living in the projects. Um, I would say when I was six months old, uh, our father left and our mother, who was, I think uh, now I would understand that she had a nervous breakdown. And you have had the autistic child, Christopher. I think he was. it was discovered that he was autistic and had the mentally handicapped not long after our father left. Um, our mother struggled somewhat with addiction. It was a pot at the time, but I believe that it got in the way of her being able to care for us. Um, she was a teacher. Uh, she had gotten her uh, undergrad degree at that point, but I believe with our father leaving, that was just, the, the again, the beginning of a, a downslide for her. I don't think she did heavy drugs, but there were times when she'd be gone. Uh, four days at a time. Um, and so we ate out of the trash can. Uh, there was some abuse, um, some molestation from family members. And so, uh, again, there were some very, very difficult um, challenges that uh, I faced and we faced in our childhood. And it was at nine years old, I will never forget my mother's best friend, Mrs. Johnson, uh, we had been attending church, but she was the one that really sat down with us and told us about, um, uh, there was a scripture, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, uh, Philippians 4.13. And that was the first scripture that I actually memorized. And that scripture meant so much to me because of the things that had happened in my life. And of course, it gave me the courage and the strength to tell on this family member who had been abusing me. And that was the beginning of my faith journey. And at, at that age, 
it I understood faith, a hope for something that I cannot see, but I can believe it. As a teenager, we discovered that I could sing <laughs> and my sisters could sing uh, incredibly well. Our aunt is Marion Love. She had a number one single when we were younger. I believe in music. I believe in love. That was in the 70s and I may have been three or four years old, but uh, Marion Love uh, is our aunt. So we knew how to harmonize very, very early on and so we um, formed the Love Singers, and uh, it was my sisters, uh, Shelly and Trina and myself. And uh, I remember I became the spokesperson for our group, and I, I was the youngest person in the group, but I had such a, um, a desire and a love to share the goodness, I, I believe, of the gospel. Uh, we sang a lot. We sang around town. So graduated uh, from high school, uh, Harmon High School in Kansas City, and I went to a junior college and then started at UMKC. It, at UMKC, uh, University of Missouri at Kansas City, is when I was singing at a um, an event for underprivileged children, and there was a an independent record label owner at the time that heard me, and he had a group. Um, and I'm not going to say the name of that group, but they asked if I would join the group. Um, I had, had gone to college two years at that time. And my mother, who was an educator at this point, she had been teaching. She she stopped the smoking pot and, and the drugs and had been teaching for some years at that point. And she was very proud of me and but could not understand why I was going to stop school and go and sing with this group. Moved to Miami with this group, traveled. We opened up for some some pretty large acts at the time, uh, but eventually I signed with Sony Records. I was given a seven album deal, Sony 550 at the time, and that label, you had Celine Dion, um, you had Mariah Carey, you just had some amazing people. But it was during the recording of my CD that I developed an eating disorder, bulimia. You... <laughs> The strange thing when I look back on that is, wow, an eating disorder when there were times as a child I was trying to get food out of the trash because we were so poor. But I learned through therapy that it was really about trying to control things that were out of my control. And when I would hear myself uh, from a playback of recording, it was horrifying. I did not, I felt like I could not produce in the studio what I could sing live. And so there was always a disconnect. And at one point I weighed 88 pounds. I had lived in a, a beautiful high rise, you know, facing the ocean. And I remember stopping and um, no, there was a friend that had come to town and I will remember he said, and we just, we went to school together. And when he saw me, I remember him saying, something's wrong with you. You're sick. You are sick. And he, he I think he may have thought she's using drugs or it's something like that, but it was the eating disorder. And he said, you need to go home. And I went back to my apartment, fell on the ground, prostrate. And I asked the Lord, I said, if you will save me, I will use 
this voice that you have given me. I will use my voice, my speaking voice, all that I am to bring you glory. The Lord raised me up. And from that point, I walked away. Um, People thought that I was insane. I was crazy. I had a CD that had been released, I think, in Europe and maybe Japan. And it was going to be released here. I said, I will not promote it. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And I went home. It was in the hospital probably for about a week. And then I had very intense therapy. I started working, went back to school at UMKC for a year. Uh, I was promoted and relocated here to Nashville uh, about three years later and um, did not sing a whole lot. I really didn't really, really sing until I, I married my husband and I married him, I think, four years later. Tammy began to get involved in her local church, learning from other women and eventually teaching Bible studies. A few years later, she went to South Africa with her church on a mission trip. And on the plane ride home, she realized God's greatest gift wasn't her singing voice. It was her ability to love others. But on the flight back, the Lord spoke to me. My mother was very sick at the time. So my mother has gotten a doctor's degree. She got her master's degree in education. Uh, She wrote a book called uh, When the Rubber Meets the Road. And it was about uh, at-risk youth that struggle. She was she was telling the Kansas City School District, hey, they may have not eaten the night before. You know what? They may have not slept. We have to meet them where they're at. Very strong, very bright woman who had some challenges in our childhood, though. And I mean, it deeply uh, affected us. But I believe that the Lord uh, was so good to us that we were able to see how she was redeemed and who she became and and who we all become. But in August, we found out that she had only a few months to live. So we found that out late August. She passed in November. And one of the last conversations that we had, she said, you know, I've never had to worry about you. You were always a self-starter. But what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to finally finish my degree. And it's going to be in ministry. One of her last words or the the, the last words that I can remember her saying to me is, Tammy, Uh, don't scratch with the chickens. You were made to soar. And so, um, so I went to school. Uh, she passed in uh, November, 2007. Um, and then I went to school that January. Jesus Calling became my devotional. I was a prayer counselor at Brentwood Baptist, and this was at, at least 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I remember reading it And the words jumped out at me as if Jesus was talking to me. Not long after that, I started working um, at Preston Taylor Ministries. And this this is an uh, uh, inner city ministry for children, an after school program for children uh, whose parents, or normally it's just the mom, uh, who who definitely struggle with addiction, who struggle with poverty. I remember telling Chan Shepard, who is the executive director, we have to reach their mothers to really reach them. They're with us a couple of hours. If we are not talking to their mothers and sharing uh, the word of God or, or sharing God's message to their moms, then what happens here 
it'll only happen here and, and long forgotten perhaps when they get home. And so I used a Bible study along with Jesus calling uh, with these mothers. And I remember the conversations around that, the, the different devotions that we would have, that it was the Jesus calling book that reached them, that resonated with them most. And from there, I was eventually hired uh, as a life coach for the Nashville Rescue Mission and Spiritual Life Coach. And one of the first things that I said to um, my boss was, I really want them to start with Jesus Calling. Any woman is going to be able to identify with this book. And so I start my the women that I had in the program. It is a six to seven month program with this book, and I will give it to them on the first day. I'll explain that it's a devotional, something that you do daily. I said, just read it and let Jesus speak to you through this book. And I have seen so many women feel loved, feel embraced, and feel as if Jesus is talking to them. It is very personal and they need to feel loved uh, because perhaps each woman, uh, depending upon their life story, has never felt loved unconditionally. And um, my favorite is day 11 because it speaks so much to my own story. This is day, I should say January 11th. Uh, trust me by relinquishing control into my hands. Let go and recognize that I am God. This is my world. I made it and I control it. Yours is a responsive part in the litany of love. That is it. Being able to be overwhelmed with the love of God rather than being overwhelmed by life, by the abuse perhaps that has happened, by uh, the pressures of um, bills to pay, whatever that looks like. Yours is a responsive part in the litany of love to respond to his love, to be called into his love in this way and be enveloped and overwhelmed by his love. I will never forget the first time reading that. And that is the message that I have for our, for our women. You don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to do more or try to control. You release it. You surrender. You submit you can let go. You cannot go with God and stay where you're at. And where you're at is trying to reach, you know, for things that are going to help you be okay when you are okay in his love. You can learn how to help Tammy's organization at NashvilleRescueMission.org. And don't stop there. You can find outreach organizations in your own area. If you'd like to hear more stories about people finding joy in their circumstances, check out our interview with Candace Payne. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with the host and guests of TBN's Better Together, Lori Crouch, Victoria Osteen, and Dee Dee Freeman. Better Together is a show by women for women that aims to build a community on friendship, love, and encouragement. Victoria and Lori discuss the value of creating friendships with women today.
so often this stereotype is that we just kind of judge one another. We sum one another up. We're, we're really not for each other. But I, I think that's, that's in the past. That's yeah. true. I think this new generation and, and new, new happening that's happening among women is we're realizing that we're better together. Yeah. We're realizing that when, when I encourage you, mm -hmm. it encourages me. Yeah. Yes. Do you love hearing these stories of Faith Weekly from people like you whose lives have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling Stories of Faith podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review so that we can reach others with these inspirational stories. And you can also see these interviews on video as part of our original web series, with a new interview premiering every other Sunday on Facebook Live. Find previously broadcast interviews on our YouTube channel on IGTV or on JesusCalling.com slash video.